Are you prepared? Prepared for what? For the next toilet paper shortage? How to make coffee when the power is out? That's an emergency in my mind. Um, a government shutdown? Rising inflation? Are you prepared? Are you, as they say, a prepper? Uh, preppers and prepping have become somewhat popular in recent years, haven't they? Um, but preppers and prepping have a long history, right? Uh, different kinds of prepping occurred during the Cold War. Uh, we prepped for earthquakes in California when I was a middle school boy. Uh, we prepped for tornadoes in Arkansas when I was younger. Uh, perhaps you prepared for different kinds of things in your life. And sometimes society looks at preppers with a little oddness. Uh, they're strange a little bit, aren't they? That's probably what happened with the first ancient prepper, Noah. Uh, preppers aren't always wrong. Uh, Noah certainly wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong because he actually had a word from the Lord. What if you knew that the world was going to end? Would you prepare for it? Well, the truth is, we've already heard this morning, the end of the world is approaching. The scriptures clearly teach it. The Lord Jesus will return to judge the world with righteousness. And the story of Noah and the flood, which we're turning to to study this morning, helps us prepare for the final day of judgment and the return of Jesus Christ. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to open your Bibles, turn in them to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage beginning on page 5. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, that's the large number 6 there in the text. And the verse 9 is the smaller number following that chapter. So far, we have studied the first five chapters in the book of Genesis. And we, in fact, last week we started into chapter 6. That's where we're going to resume our study today. I was actually hoping to preach to the end of chapter 9 today. But as I got further along in my preparations, I thought it best to stop at the end of chapter 8 and dedicate a whole sermon to chapter 9. So, Lord willing, we'll pick up chapter 9 next week. Let me just briefly remind us of what we've studied so far. In the opening chapters of the Bible, we saw that God created the world, created everything and everyone. Uh, he made the first man and the first woman. He set them in a garden. He gave them life, labor, and love in a beautiful garden sanctuary to have fellowship and communion with Him. But sadly, Adam and Eve, they, they threw it all away when they sinned and rebelled against God. They disobeyed His commands not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, in the face of such rebellion, God promised redemption. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised that one day he would send a seed of the woman, a son, who would crush the head of the serpent and so defeat sin and Satan and death. And as we saw last week, as we looked through a bunch of genealogies, we're still waiting for that promised son to come in the story. Because sin has really actually spread throughout the whole earth. Especially in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, you can kind of scan over those verses. We were told that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was worldwide. Verse 5, we learned that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Man's heart had become an overflowing, ever-flowing fountain of wickedness. This grieved the Lord. And he purposed to judge the world because of this wickedness. Man had defiled God's good world. And as we'll see today, he purposed to wash it clean in a flood of judgment. At the end of Genesis 5, at the beginning of Genesis 6, we, we actually met Noah. We were given some hope that maybe he's this son that we've been waiting for, longing for to arrive. But as we'll see from our text today, Noah's not the final son or savior. He is, though, God's man, God's means, God uses to keep his promises of redemption 
alive. By saving Noah's life, we learn that God keeps alive His promises to redeem. Because Noah did not die in the flood, so mankind's hope for redemption does not die. God will keep His promises. The promised Son will come. And one day God will make all things new. This episode of God's judgment becomes a shadowy type of what God will do in the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day. God judged the world the first time through a flood. God will judge the world the last time through fire. But as, just as the world was saved through one man, Noah, so on the last great and final day of judgment, those who believe God's promise will be saved through the God-man, Jesus Christ. The story of Noah's life before, during, and after the flood of God's judgment teaches us this important lesson. We ought to prepare for the coming of judgment now by entering into God's salvation today. In fact, that's the main thing I think God's Word says to you. You ought to prepare for God's coming judgment now by entering into God's salvation today. And those two points are going to form the outline of the rest of the sermon, which I believe there's an insert there in your bulletin that has a, a fuller outline provided for you. We prepare for God's judgment now by walking with God, believing His promises, and obeying His words. We begin to think about this first point, prepare for God's judgment now. Follow along as I read Genesis chapter 6, beginning there in verse 9, just verses 9 to 12 for now. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The corruption that we see laid out here tells us that this is not some cute story. It's not quaint, as is so often pictured in some children's literature. This is a sober and sad story, and yet a story of salvation. We've already been told in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, that man's depravity was worldwide. It's confirmed here again, isn't it? You see there in verses 11 and 12, we're told three more times the earth is corrupt, and once more that it's filled with violence. Mankind in his wickedness is guilty of filling the earth with corruption and violence. And who can doubt that this is still true today? This is why God is just and right to judge the world. The wages of sin is death. We learned that already in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. God is holy. He cannot abide evil. It cannot remain in His presence. He cannot stand wickedness and sin. He must judge the world in righteousness. His holy, just, and good character demands it. But Noah? Noah was different than nearly everyone around him. We're given three descriptions, given three descriptions of the corruption of the world, and three descriptions of Noah's character there in verse 9 alone. He was a man that was righteous, blameless, and he was a man that walked with God. These all actually kind of explain one another. He was righteous in the sense that he did what was right in God's sight. He was blameless and he did not dwell in depravity or continue on in corruption. He walked with God in the sense that he had a personal relationship with God. He knew his maker. Now, we should not misunderstand. This description of Noah does not mean to communicate that Noah was sinless in God's sight. No, Noah was a sinner. We'll learn about that in Genesis chapter 9. And yet it appears that he is repenting of his sins, trusting God for his forgiveness, and seeking to live a life that pleases the Lord. 
Noah walked with God, much like Enoch did before him. Friendship with God was more important to Noah than friendship with the world. Beloved, when the day of judgment comes, you'll only be prepared if you're walking with the judge and not striving against him. As we thought about last week, walking with God means that you're not only dependent upon him for life and breath, but that you depend upon him for grace, for forgiveness from your sins. And Noah, he must have believed God's promises that one day he would send that son, that seed of the woman, to crush the head of the serpent in order to save sinners. We walk with God today by believing that God's son and seed has come, that Christ lived, that Christ died, that Christ was raised, and that Christ will come again. We walk with God as we hold fast to God's teaching, making the word of God the rule for our walking. Walking with God means speaking words of grace and truth. Walking with God means making peace with God and living at peace with your fellow man insofar as it depends upon you. Walking with God means valuing His righteousness and indeed turning many from iniquity. This will mean that in the here and now, your life will cut against the grain of the world. Walking with God means refusing to join the crowd in the corruption. Speaking for the Lord's pleasure rather than being silent for man's pleasure. Standing for truth when you're asked to sit down. Loving fellowship with the Lord at times will mean limited fellowship with man. As a result, you will stick out like a sore thumb. You'll feel out of place. You'll feel as though you don't belong. You'll feel like a stranger in a foreign land. You'll feel like you've lost a common language with your neighbors. You'll feel like the world's values have shifted and Satan will tempt you to doubt that you're in the right when you view God's world from God's perspective. The world will call evil good and good evil. And from time to time, it will be disorienting. If you walk with God, you'll be distressed by the sensual conduct of the world around you. If you walk with God, your righteous soul will be tormented day after day over the lawless deeds that you see and hear. As we learn in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, that is the normal experience of a Christian. Discomfort, displacement, sometimes disfellowship with the world. You'll feel afflicted and oppressed by the righteousness, the unrighteousness around you. And you'll be grieved by the unrighteousness within you. Noah walked with God. He was different and distinct in his generation. Are you? Can the world tell the difference? Noah walked with the maker of the world against the grain of the world because he believed God and took him at his word when he said he was going to flood the world. God said that he was going to judge the world in righteousness and Noah, he believed him. This is how we are to prepare for the judgment to come. We believe God's promises of judgment and we live in life. This is what we find in Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 to 21. Follow along as I read. Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 to 21. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it lower 
with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Here, the Lord God announces his intention to destroy the earth in a worldwide flood of judgment. He instructs Noah to build an ark. And this really must have been a delightful tale for Moses to tell. Because Moses, when he was a baby, was placed in a little ark in a river in order to spare him from the wrath of the Egyptians, killing all the baby boys. And what we see here is that Noah is instructed to build a very large ark, a big, giant boat. As the uh, ESV Study Bible points out, in modern measurements, the ark would have been around 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, yielding a displacement of about 43,000 tons. The inside capacity would have been 1.4 million cubic feet, with an approximate total deck area of 95,700 square feet. So God tells Noah to build a very large boat. And God tells Noah that he will save him, his family, and two of every living creature on the earth through this ark. God not only promises to make a covenant with Noah, but also to keep them alive. God will bring them in, he will bring them safely through, and he will bring them out. Beloved, do you, like Noah, believe God's promises of judgment? We, we read them earlier in the service. Jesus promised to return and to judge the world. We read that from his famous Olivet Discourse. His judgment we're told in that passage will include eternal fire, eternal punishment. Listen to what our Savior said again in just a few of those verses. Verses 36 to 39 of Matthew 24. Jesus said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the blood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I wonder if you remembered, as we read those verses, verses 13 and following, God's I wills. God said, I will judge the world. Did you hear what Jesus said? I will come to judge the world. Are you preparing for Jesus' coming judgment? Our Savior, He went on to urge his disciples to be active and to be awake, to watch and to pray. Jesus urged his disciples to believe his word and to live in light of it. Beloved, like Noah, do you believe the final judgment of God is at hand? Are you busy doing his business in these days while everyone else is going about their business? The purpose of the Lord's speech here in Genesis 6 is to set before us who Moses believed and what Moses believed. Moses believed, sorry, not Moses, Noah, 
Moses is writing, who Noah believed, what he believed. Noah believed God. That's who he believed. And he believed God's promises of judgment. That's what he believed. How do we know? You see verse 22? Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Actually, at least four times in Genesis chapter 6 through 8, we're told that Moses obeyed God's commands. But look at the way Moses, the author, Moses, uh, I keep doing that. Man, Moses, Noah. Moses is writing. Noah's the one in the story, Mike. All right, here we go. Look at the way that uh, Noah obeys. Moses underscores it twice. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He mentioned it twice in a single verse. But not just that. We're told that Noah fully obeyed. He did all God commanded him. Noah appears to have obeyed all the way, right away, and with a happy heart, as it's often said. What did Jesus say to his disciples before he left the earth? Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe... Anybody know the next word? All. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. We should walk in Noah's way. Like Noah did. He did all that God commanded. We should observe all that Jesus has commanded us. I mean, think about it. Noah, he could have built a smaller boat, right? Maybe just one that housed him and food for his family. He could build a boat without a cover. Think of how that would have gone over. Um, Noah's full obedience shows us that he was full of faith, right? How often do we try to redefine obedience to God's commands rather than like Noah taking the attitude, God said it, that settles it, and I'm going to set myself to doing it. Pray for the grace to do all that God commands. Yes, you're going to fail in this, and our God knows the weakness of our frame. There's forgiveness and grace for our sins, marvelous grace, as we sang earlier. And yet God's standard is the same. His call is the same. Do all that I command. It's not just what is safe for you. It's what's best for you. Our Heavenly Father knows what's best. After all, faith is shown by our works, isn't it? We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. And still, true faith works itself out in love. Noah clearly believed God. He took Him at His word. And that's why he lived in light of it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1. Noah hoped. He believed that God would save him, his family, and two of every living thing. He was certain that God's word would come to pass and that judgment would come. He believed God and he lived in light of it. Subsequent scriptures confirm this. Listen to what Hebrews 11 verse 7 says of Noah. Not Moses, but Noah. By faith... Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. See, Noah's righteousness did not come by his working. Rather, righteousness was credited to it because he believed God. Beloved, if you walk with God, if you believe God's word and obey God's commands, you're going to be weird in this world. Your life, like Noah's life, will condemn the world. And no one likes to feel condemned. So you'll probably face conflict. Your life, like Noah's, will preach righteousness. That's what 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says. It says that Noah was a herald of righteousness. 
Is your life a living sermon? One which warns the world of the coming judgment. Be certain of this. Judgment is coming. Prepare for that judgment now by walking with God, believing His Word, and obeying His commands. Help others prepare for that judgment now by warning them of God's wrath and inviting them to know God's grace in Jesus Christ. We need to say to others, while God holds the door open, enter into His salvation today. This is the second lesson that we learned from Noah and the flood. Enter into God's salvation today. I want to tell you how and why we should enter God's salvation today. From Genesis chapters 7 and 8. Follow along as I read the first five verses of Genesis chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate. A pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Here we see that the Lord commanded Noah and his family to enter the ark. He was also to take two of every kind of animal and bird on the ark. And we're told yet again that Noah did all that he commanded him. We should not be surprised in the least that God could cause the proper number of animals to file up into a line, two by two, and file into the ark. God is the author of creation. And as creation's author, he has complete authority over it. All of it. In fact, in the next set of verses, verses 6 to 16, reiterate Noah's obedience. Read those verses. Begin there, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the foundations of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife, and the three of his wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind. And all the livestock according to their kinds. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And every bird according to its kind. Every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah. Two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. As I said, these verses once again relay 
Noah's obedience. Look closely at verse 7 again. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went with him into the ark and escaped the waters of the flood. We're told again later in the text that they obeyed and went in. Verses 10 and 12, we're told the rains come down, the floods come up. And it's especially horrifying to read there in verse 11. Do you see that phrase? All the great fountains of the deep burst forth. Right, in our day, we're somewhat used to the heavens opening and seeing large amounts of rain come down. But here, Yahweh is no longer holding back the water that's in the deep recesses of the earth. He's sending it forth. God's wrath is awesome, awful, and unstoppable. It is to be escaped because it cannot be endured. Yet again, in verses 13 to 16, everyone in Noah's immediate family gets into the ark, we're told. Every animal that God ordained over and over and over again, we're told they obeyed, they entered the ark. They obeyed and they entered the ark. Moses wants to reassure us that they were safe in God's saving hands. And notice how verse 16 of Genesis 7 ends. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. We don't know for sure, but it almost seems as though the Lord himself closed the door of the ark. It's the Lord who keeps them safe. It's the Lord who saved them. Why do you think we read, and the Lord shut him in? Why, why the Lord shut him in? Why not the Lord shut them in? Here's why. Because those on the ark are only saved in connection with Noah. He's the one who was righteous, blameless, and walked with God. He's the one who did all that the Lord commanded. And in this way, Noah prefigures Jesus Christ to us, who in an even greater way was perfectly righteous. Noah was a sinner, but Jesus is sinless. And friends, this is where we learn that if you are not closed in by God and not closed in with Christ, then you will not be saved. Jesus is God's ark today. He is the door of salvation. He is the man of salvation. And unless you are united to Him by faith and adopted into His family, then you will not come safely through the flood of God's final wrath. Just as God's judgment rains came down on the floods, so on the cross, God's judgment came down upon Jesus Christ. And so only Jesus can bear you safely through. You need to hide yourself in Him. He is your ark. He's the only one who went safely through the flood of God's wrath and came safely out the other side three days in His resurrection from the dead. Just as it was with Noah's righteousness that saved his family, so it will only be Jesus' righteousness that saves you. Your good works account for nothing in God's sight. You are not God's ark. Jesus is. So friend, if you are here today and you're not a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to urge you to enter God's ark of salvation today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. Escape God's terrible and terrifying wrath. Jesus is God's ark of salvation for you. And friend, God commands you to enter His ark to believe upon His Son. God commands you to trust in Jesus Christ. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to 
repent. Because, why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Friend, obey the command of God like Noah and enter God's ark of salvation, Jesus Christ, today. Believe that Jesus lived for you, the life that you've not lived, the life of perfect obedience to God the Father. Believe that Jesus died for you, facing that final wrath of God, that wrath that's brought forth from the end of time to that point in Jesus Christ on the cross where it's poured out for you and your sins. Believe that he bore it for you, that he was paid the wages of sin in his death on the cross for you. Believe that Jesus was raised from the grave so that you might be forgiven. Bind yourself to Jesus by believing in him and you will be saved. Friend, forsake your sin, turn away from it, and turn to Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more about what it means to enter into God's ark of salvation in Jesus Christ, to trust in Him, to stake your whole hope and eternal future on Him, I'll be at the door after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that good news, that there is salvation in the midst of judgment. In fact, salvation comes through the judgment, doesn't it? Dear Christian, I want to exhort you and encourage you to be a herald of righteousness like Noah. Invite others to enter the ark with you. Don't go to heaven alone. Another New Testament text about Noah, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, tells us that God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through. Don't you think that Noah had to convince his wife and his sons and their wives to come with him, to enter that ark with him? Beloved, recognize that God is being patient in this time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Recognize that this is the time to invite others into God's ark. Who will be your few? Who will be those who come into God's ark with you? Don't you think that dozens of people would have asked Noah, Hey man, what are you building? And Noah would reply, um, an ark, of course. What's an ark? Why is this thing so big? Well, an ark is a boat, and it's big because I'm going to get on it with my family and two of every other kind of living thing. Well, why do you need to do that? Because God is going to judge the world for its sin and rebellion against Him through a massive flood, and no one will escape. That's the truth He spoke to me in His Word. Friend, you should believe God and not rebel against Him. In love, I'm warning you to turn from your sin and to trust in Him. Make peace with God. Do you believe this, that He's coming? Do you believe this, that this ark is God's means and method of salvation? Do you want to join me in escaping that flood of wrath and God's judgment? And how many times do you think Noah must have faced rejection and ridicule for a conversation like that? Christian, you need to have honest conversations like that. You need to warn your friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers. You need to welcome them to enter into God's salvation too. You need to risk rejection and ridicule so that God might spare some, even just a few more. Who will be those to whom you boldly say, Dear friend, I know that this might sound strange, but God's judgment is coming and I want you to escape it. Would you join me in following Jesus? Would you come to Jesus and be saved? You know, brothers and sisters, it doesn't 
It doesn't have to be more complex than that. We need to enter God's ark of salvation personally. And we need to invite others to join us in trusting Christ. We need to do this because as we'll see in verses 17 to 24, God's judgment will prevail. Follow along as I read verses 17 to 24 of chapter 7. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. And all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. There are a few inescapable and sobering truths that these verses teach us. Without doubt, Moses meant to communicate that this was a worldwide flood, not a localized flood as some have supposed. Not only was God's intention from the very beginning to wipe out every living thing off the face of the earth, but this description confirms it. I mean, just look at verse 19 again. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. You see, through that language of prevailing, Moses proclaims the victory of the floodwaters over every inch of the earth. And he proclaims something else too. He proclaims the death of all flesh that moved on the earth. You see that in verse 21. Then he doubles back and confirms once more that everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Verse 22. The thrust of the text is this. All, all, all died. And then he says it again like this. Everything, every living thing, every man died. Until we hear those words at the end of verse 23 that sound almost as cold as the floodwaters themselves, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. No one escapes God's judgment except those who enter God's salvation. No one escapes God's judgment except those who enter God's salvation. God judged all the men, all the women, all the children on the earth that day. And they were all deserving of death. Because they had all been born in sin, as David says in Psalm 51.5. They did not believe God's promises and the word that Noah proclaimed as a herald of righteousness. 
Mr. Spurgeon was certainly right when he declared, Sin must be a heinous thing, since God, who despises not the work of His own hands, will sooner break up the human race and destroy everything that lives, rather than sin should continue to defile the earth. He destroyed the earth once by water because of sin, and He will destroy a second time by fire for the same reason. Friends, this is but one reason you must enter the ark of God's salvation today. God's coming judgment is real, and nothing but the blood of Jesus can avert it. Whether you are 10 months old, or 10 years old, or 30 years old, or 90 years old, trust in Christ today. Enter God's ark today, because God's judgment will prevail on the last day. But so will God's salvation if you have entered His ark. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. Go back to verse 1. Those beautiful words, but God remembered Noah. Those are, those are precious words after a punishing judgment, aren't they? It's not as though God forgot Noah. Or God never forgets this phrase in the Old Testament means that God acted. Think of Exodus chapter 2 verse 24. When God heard the cries of his people who were enslaved in Egypt, he heard their cries. The text says he remembered. And what that means is that God then set about acting to set his people free. So what we're learning here is that God took the next steps in keeping his promises to Noah. He told Noah in Genesis chapter 6 verse 18 that he would establish a covenant with Noah. He told him in verse 19 of chapter 6 and 20 that he would keep Noah, his family, and the animals alive. So God is he's taking the next steps in keeping those promises. God shut Noah into the ark to save him. And he would bring him out of the ark just as he said. So the floodwaters recede. And in the verses that follow, we see the land dry out. And Moses, he underscores that over and over again. Read verses 6 to 14 of Genesis chapter 8. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove. She did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year 
in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Several times we're told that Noah waited. And several times we're told that the water continually receded. We're given that lovely picture of the raven and the dove not returning, thus confirming that the land is dried out there in verses uh, 6 to 12 of this chapter. Though Noah is given confirmation that the land is habitable, he waits. He actually waits to leave the ark until he gets a command from the Lord to do the same. Noah is very careful to do all and only what the Lord commands. And when God commands it, look at verses 15 to 19. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Noah, as I said, he waits for God's command until he leaves the ark. And he showed great patience, didn't he? As they walk off the ark, it's almost as though we've landed back in Genesis chapter 1 again. The world began with the Spirit hovering over the waters. God formed and then filled the earth. He commissioned the living creatures to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And already we're told the wind, which is the same word for the Spirit, in Genesis chapter 8 verse 1, has been said to blow over the earth, as in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Now we have a dove here, which is sometimes an image of the Spirit in the Scriptures, has gone out over the waters, hovered over the waters. God has spoken and once again commissioned the living creatures to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. It's as if we're getting a replay of Genesis 1 again, a restart. What's Noah's response when he gets off the ark? You see it there in verse 20? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. In response to his salvation, Noah worshipped the Lord with a thankful heart. Beloved, sometimes I, I think we have to stare in the face, the wrath of God, so that we appreciate the love of God and the grace of God toward us in Jesus Christ and so rightly worship God like Noah does here. You know, later in the law of Moses, we're going to learn that the burnt offering was symbolic of kind of total surrender unto the Lord. Noah's building of the ark was not the end, nor was it the end and goal of his service to the Lord. It was merely the beginning of a whole life of service unto God, unto the God who saves. In view of God's mercies, Noah continues to offer himself in God's service. This is what the Apostle Paul urges us as Christians to do, to view our salvation. In Romans 12:1, we read these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Beloved, as we give ourselves to God for His service. He's pleased to receive us. He received Noah and his offering. Look at the last two verses of Genesis 8, verses 21 and 22. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, that's of the offering, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again 
curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. You see there, verse 22. Now you know why we sang, Great is thy faithfulness. It picks up that same idea there at the end of verse 22. But notice, verse 21, God received Noah's sacrifice. And then he went on. Verses the following. Verses the following. He went on to promise stability in the created world. While the Lord recognizes that man's heart is still full of sin and evil, verse 21, he promises to never again strike down every living creature as he had done in that worldwide flood. Now, do we still have floods today? Natural disasters like that today? Yes. Do people still die in them? Sadly, yes. But they are nothing like what Noah and the world just went through. From that day forward, God would resume the regular seasons. Great is His faithfulness. These promises are going to be fleshed out further in Genesis chapter 9. We'll have to think about them next week, Lord willing. But as we conclude... We need to consider that God's saving purposes toward Noah and His saving purposes toward us in Christ have and will prevail. And this ought to further our faith and fuel our worship. Beloved, having been brought into the ark of salvation, having been united to Jesus Christ and saved through Him, we should give thanks. We deserve to face God's judgment. You deserve to be overwhelmed by His fiery wrath. You should give thanks to the Lord that His Son bore that for you. We should live thankful lives from this day forward until the day we die or until our Lord Jesus returns in judgment. Live this day and every day that the Lord gives you preparing for His return with a thankful heart. If you can believe it, the final judgment of Christ will be far more terrifying than this flood. This is a small shadow of what will come in full. So walk with God. Believe His promises. Obey His commands with a glad and joyful heart. He loves you. He sent His Son to die in order that you might be saved. He has provided an ark for you. Consider these words from the good Dr. Ryle, looking at that great day of judgment. In the day of judgment, true Christians shall be perfectly safe. Not a hair of their heads shall fall to the ground. There shall be a hiding place for all believers in Jesus when the wrath of God at last bursts on this wicked world. Those mighty angels who rejoiced in heaven when each sinner repented shall gladly catch up the people of Christ to meet their Lord in the air. You will be drawn to the side of Christ, just as those animals were drawn into that ark and Noah's family. Beloved, I promise you that on the day of your death, or the last day, whichever comes first, you will find that all of your spiritual preparations for God's judgment were worth it. All of the enduring, the mocking, the scorn was worth it. All of your walking with Him, believing Him, obeying Him, against the grain of the world, will have been worth it. On that last day, you will not simply feel a sense of relief because you've escaped God's wrath. 
but you will rejoice like Noah when he offered a sacrifice because you've been received by God. So friends, in view of God's coming judgment, not only prepare for that day, but plead for that day to come. That's how the Bible ends. Do you know that? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And though it is a day of wrath, it is also a day of salvation. Because our salvation comes clothed in judgment. It comes through judgment. Beloved, prepare and plead so that you will know the fullness of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we are are sobered by the the carnage of the curse in this world. How sin has spread and wreaks so much violence on this earth. How corruption is everywhere we turn. And how sadly at times we have actually contributed to it. Oh, we pray and ask that you would forgive us of our sin and our wickedness. We know that we are deserving of your judgment and wrath. And yet we give you thanks for this story of Noah, how it promises a glimpse of your grace, a glimpse that we know and is unfolded in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Thank you for offering your son to us as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice so that we might be reconciled to you. Oh, Father, we pray and ask that you would draw each one here today into your ark of salvation in Jesus Christ. We ask that you cause us to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus and love him and serve him. Like Noah offered himself to love and serve you. And we pray and ask that you would come quickly. So that we might know the fullness of your grace toward us in Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well friends, brothers and sisters, our final song together this morning is uh, that song on the insert in your bulletin, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. Go ahead and pull that insert out from your bulletin. This song is about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that day when which He will come to judge the world in righteousness. And it includes a petition from the people of God. Notice there, the song ends how the Bible ends. Oh, come quickly. Oh, come quickly. Oh, come quickly. Hallelujah. Come, Lord, come. Let's make this the petition of our hearts in song. Let's stand as we sing.
standing hear this benediction from God's word to you may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you now and forevermore amen amen